Ladies and gentlemen, good afternoon and welcome to Founders Unfiltered. My name is Dayron Henderson and I'm the proud owner of Loki Entertainment, a full service entertainment company located right here in Northeast Ohio. I am also a proud graduate of the Small Business Impact Program and honored to be a partner with Jumpstart to help produce this monthly series featured Candid Conversations with tech founders throughout Ohio and across the country. We're excited to have you join us today as we kick off the reboot of Founders Unfiltered with Small Talk's Chief Commercial Officer, Amy Huston. She will be sitting down with our host today, Mr. Freddie Coffey. So sit back, relax, and let's enjoy the program. Well, thank you, Dayron, for that introduction. Uh, my name is Freddie Coffey. I'm on the marketing team here at Jumpstart. And uh, I am honored and excited to be joined by Amy Houston, who is the Chief Commercial Officer uh, at Smalltalk. Um, before we get into that, though, I uh, just want to kind of acknowledge uh, the fact that we're back uh, semi-in-person. Um, it has been a little over 16 months since we had our last event um, of this, uh, I guess, the subject matter of this caliber. And it's just really excited, uh, really exciting for me, for all of us here at Jumpstart, um, to be able to have a conversation like this again, to be able to see somebody in, in And sit within again. six feet. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> um, so, so welcome, Amy, again. So excited to have you. Thank you for joining us today. Um, I, I want to introduce you. Uh, to everybody watching, and I don't normally do this. Typically, I would just kind of give you a brief introduction with your title and that sort of thing. But your LinkedIn bio is so good um, that I'm going to read it almost verbatim. I'm going to change the pronouns, obviously, so it doesn't sound like I'm describing myself as you. But um, but this is, I think, an excellent introduction, and it's going to lead really nicely into our conversation today. So Amy is an experienced entrepreneur whose expertise lies in bringing new family technology products to market. As in, and you're going to have to help me pronounce it, is it Enneagram 1? Enneagram? Enneagram Oh, we one. could have a whole episode on what the Enneagram is. OK, well, I know that that means that you're a perfectionist. So your attention to detail, love of uh, continuity shines through in project management, strategic planning, and direct-to-consumer marketing. Amy started her entrepreneurial journey when she owned and operated her at-home bakery boutique, La Hoot Bakery, uh, while raising her two young boys. And then she went on to co-found the babysitting exchange app, Kome, which we'll uh, talk uh, probably pretty in-depth about today because two young boys, right? Um, during your time at Kome, Amy won 10 pitch competitions, raised more than $600,000 in investment funding, and built an app that became beloved by parents across the country and was ultimately acquired uh, by the WANA Family Network in Los Angeles, California. So having now thoroughly caught the startup bug, Amy has most recently uh, joined the baby tech startup, which is like the coolest baby tech startup, like just that being an industry is the coolest thing. Uh, Small Talk is chief commercial officer. Small Talk is bringing foreign language to babies uh, through interactive learning. Um, it's quite fair to say that Amy's entrepreneurial journey has been graced with some unforgettable highs and some of the hardest of lows. And it's quite fair to say that this adventure is not over yet but you wouldn't have it any other way. At least you say so on your LinkedIn bio. It's true. I couldn't have written that better myself. <laughs> well, it's a good thing that you did. Uh, and that is what we're here to talk about today. Amy, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I'm um, thrilled to be here. Since so we're not, we don't me. have the live audience yet, I'm going to give you a little bit of, uh, of applause there. So let's start at the very beginning. We'll take a trip back through time, as it were, to your start as an entrepreneur. Um, walk us through 
we'll, we'll take a trip back and we'll skip the bakery, but walk us through how you got to be a tech entrepreneur. Yeah, so I mean, at a, a quick glance, it does start with the bakery because what I needed to do was solve my own problem. And my problem was I needed to be able to bake cakes while my kids who were two and four at the time weren't licking the icing and making a mess at the same time. So I started swapping babysitting with uh, Audrey Wallace, who ultimately became my co-founder. And then we started swapping babysitting with our friends. And then we said, why isn't there an app for this? And so, I mean, the long story short is that, you know, solving your own problem, I think, is one of the best ways to make a business. Um, and also one step at a time. And so we didn't dive in and we didn't necessarily know where to start, but we just took one step at a time. And I started as someone who I wouldn't consider to be a very technical person. Um, and now I'm very confident in the tech world. So kind of evolved over time. So as a non-technical founder at the beginning um, and really kind of a, a second company, but a first tech startup, what were some of the biggest challenges that you faced uh, along the way when you were when you were putting the the beginning bones, I guess, of Comey together? Yeah. So one thing is learning on the job. So I didn't even really know that what I was doing was called entrepreneurship, to be quite honest. Um, and every step of the way, I learned things I didn't know. And sometimes now, looking back to the beginning, I'm like, wow, I was so naive. But you don't know what you don't know. Um, one of my favorite memories is actually one of my first meetings here at Jumpstart with John Grimm, and he had made mention of when I sell the company one day. And I was like, excuse me, what? I'm going to grow this thing and work here for 30, 40, 50 years. We mean sell my company. And obviously, I learned so much about the startup world and the potential that you have when it comes to acquisitions and your company, you know, outgrowing you, essentially. Um, so I would definitely say learning on the job was one of the biggest challenges because you can't move as fast as you'd like to when you still have so much to learn. Um, I also would say um, that's kind of from a personal perspective, but then from a business perspective, one of the biggest challenges Comey faced, um, you mentioned that we raised over $600,000, which is incredible, um, something I'm very proud of, but we didn't raise that all in one lump sum. We raised that bit by bit piecemealing it together along the way over the course of four or five years. And so therefore, we were always living in survival mode. We always only had three months of runway. We always were like looking for the next opportunity to have the funds that we needed. And so we never really had this opportunity to go big or go home, essentially. So you mentioned kind of at the beginning of that answer, um, the idea of not even really being sure that you are an entrepreneur. Um, we've talked a little bit, you and I have talked uh, several times in, in putting some videos together and, and talking about your story as an entrepreneur about the idea of imposter syndrome, not feeling like you belong or you are what you should be or say you are, which is um, a big challenge for startup founders, for, for small business owners too, um, certainly. So talk about the evolution related to coming to terms with the fact that you are an entrepreneur, both in kind of in practice and in, in name. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I kind of look at that through a couple lenses. One is I had imposter syndrome because of my own belief system. Um, so like I said, when I had the bakery, I didn't consider that as being an entrepreneur. Um, it very much was. I just didn't think of it that way. Um, 
And I often, Audrey and I would get corrected all the time because we would call ourselves just two stay-at-home moms, um, which I'm embarrassed about because for one, I was much more than that. And any mom who stays home with their kids is much more than that. I tried it. I did it for a minute. It's hard. Um, but I had these own fears and insecurities. And until I tried new things, I didn't realize what I was capable of. On the flip side, sometimes I was told that I wasn't an entrepreneur. So I actually had a friend near the beginning say, well, you know, the definition of entrepreneurship in the dictionary is that you take, you know, an undue financial risk and you're not doing that. So you're not really an entrepreneur, which that is the dictionary definition and they should change it um, because I didn't take financial risk because I didn't have the means to take financial risk, but I absolutely took a social risk um, and a pride risk and <laughs> all kinds of other risks in order to bring Comey to life. Um, and so, you know, people kind of selling you short and then you selling yourself short, you, you begin to doubt yourself and kind of wonder, what am I really made of? And then where that truly flipped for me, where I finally um, saw things differently was actually after Comey was acquired. And you can go back and kind of, you know, even read on the Comey blog a little bit about how that went down, but we had publicly announced that we were shutting down before we were acquired. So it wasn't like super glamorous. It was still a great success, but it wasn't, you know, as glamorous as maybe you dream. But I remember when Comey, when I didn't know we were gonna get acquired, when I thought it was over, I remembered thinking that what if I was 34 and my greatest accomplishment was behind me? And that right there was this limiting factor of like, no, that's not true because I'm more than just this single startup at the heart, I'm an entrepreneur. And so there's going to be the next company. There's going to be the next thing. And thankfully, I had mentors that saw that in me and pulled it out of me. So it's good to know that I was an entrepreneur at 19 when I spent too much money on it or took a car loan that was probably too big. Exactly. The, uh, the dictionary definition. But for the for the, you know, the society definition of an entrepreneur, at what point did you kind of either admit to yourself that that's what I am uh, and, and really start to own that? I think, I mean, I owned it more and more throughout the course of Comey, but I think now I own it differently than I ever did before. So, you know, during Comey, someone might say, what do you do? And I would say, oh, I'm the founder of Comey, blah, blah, blah. Now I start, you know, someone says, what do you do? And I say, well, I'm an entrepreneur. And currently I'm working at Smalltalk as their chief commercial officer. Mm -hmm. And so it's taken more of like this root identity rather than just it happened to be something I did once um, it's something I'm going to do again and again. Um, I'm planning on staying at Small Talk until we're quite successful and we have our own acquisition. I'm sure they're good. You know, happy <laughs> I am to definitely hear that. planning on staying, but I mean, it's not going to last forever. And yeah. so there will be another another company and another thing that I do. So uh, your answer to that: What do you do? Um, you know, I, I'm co-founder of Comey or founder of Comey. I'm an entrepreneur. When you're a founder of a company, you, for better or for worse are a large identity of that company or that company weighs heavily into your identity. How does something like that affect your relationships? Um, you know, knowing that the, that you're the face of the company or the company is on your shoulders, especially in the early startup phase, how does that affect family and friends and, and, uh, you know, specifically to you, how did that personally affect you and your relationships? Yeah. So when we look at the weight of it all, um, like I said, I, it, I didn't have the means to financially, you know, invest and do great things financially in Comey myself. 
which meant I was using other people's money. And I took that very seriously. And that was one of the hardest pills to swallow um, when I thought things were going south was, was the weight of that. Um, and when you have the weight of these things, it's hard not to let that overflow into other parts of your life. Um, and so I definitely, I lost friends because um, they just didn't understand why I would chase something so hard. Um, I've, I had a friend say that I was going to, you know, negatively influence my children by, by working as an entrepreneur. Um, and people don't really understand me. So you kind of lost people along the way. Um, and then even at, at the end, when I was going through that time of thinking that it was all over in this big failure, a lot of friends didn't know how to interact with that because it's not the same as just losing a job. But it's also not as serious as losing a loved one. And so you're kind of in this middle of like, it's serious, but not too serious. And people just kind of don't know what to do with you. So it was just hard. Um, and then even within that, so co with Kome in particular, Audrey and I were a huge part of our brand. Um, two moms building an app. It's, it was great. It is great. Um, accomplished incredible things. We had opportunities that I never imagined I would have to go to New York for five weeks and do all these grand things. Um, and so everybody saw the highlight reel on social media and you become this brand and you become misunderstood. Um, and then furthermore, you know, the whole narrative of, of how we were co-founders and the value that a co-founder brings and, you know, how do you work so well as a pair and what makes you perfectly matched? And then it almost got to this point where I ended up being only, seeing myself as only half of an entrepreneur that I wasn't a full package. Um, and that was one of the scariest things when Comey, you know, went on to live with a new CEO is like, well, now I'm only half of an entrepreneur, which wasn't true at all. <laughs> um, and again, I had great mentors that pulled me out of that and helped me to see the potential that I had. Um, Audrey and I always had this um, analogy of an indoor cat, outdoor cat. So I was always the indoor cat that got everything done, enjoyed like, you know, nerding out in the data. Um, and Audrey was an outdoor cat. She loved to present and to be, be out with people. And I leaned into that so hard that I didn't realize that I was also an outdoor cat too, and that I could be both. In fact, yesterday I was nerding out in the data all day and working on spreadsheets. And I ended the day like that was a good day. And then I was driving here this morning and I'm like, this is going to be a good day. So it's good to be both. So I was, you partially answered my follow-up to that, which was really, you know, who did you lean on? Um, we know that entrepreneurship can be a lonely road. Um, it certainly helps, I think, um, you know, if you've got a co-founder, you've got somebody that you can bounce that, that, that can both brainstorm with you and commiserate with you and, you know, all of those things in between, but you also mentioned leaning on mentors. So, uh, what kind of, what kind of role did, uh, you know, having a mentor or mentors, um, you know, what kind of role did that fill? How did you leverage uh, mentorship? Yeah, so I, I had a lot of mentors along the way. People, um, I always say Northeast Ohio um, didn't just invest in Comey, but they invested in me as an entrepreneur. Um, and I will continue to say that forever. So I had a lot of mentors along the way. But, you know, thinking today mostly about this in-between, this like post-Comey, uh, pre-small talk, the most influential mentor of mine was Heather Hall, who was working here at Jumpstart, but has moved on to other things this week. Um, but anyway, she was so influential because she saw me and she didn't let me disappear. She didn't let me 
stick with those thoughts of like, you know, my greatest accomplishments behind me. This is kind of it. Um, and I think that that's what makes a great mentor and that they see people, you see other entrepreneurs and you see the potential that's inside them and you don't let them quit. You pull it out of them um, by whatever means necessary. Um, and like, I am a different person because of the mentorship that Heather gave me. And it's not because she crafted me into someone that I wasn't or, or anything like that. It's because she helped me see who I already was and helped me see beyond, you know, what other people were telling me or what I might've been telling myself. Yeah, that's great. And shout out to Heather because she connected me with you multiple times. Anytime I'm like, I need to talk to an entrepreneur that has a great story She's like, well, Amy's story is great. Just keep talking to her <laughs> over and over. So, and here we are. Um, so, so that's that's great that she had that role uh, along with the other mentors for you, and that um, you know that that hopefully that relationship continues forward as well. Oh and, yeah, and she's not getting rid of me. <laughs> Uh, even if she's not on the payroll to <laughs> collect it, but that's, you know, that's how a lot of those lifelong relationships, um, especially through entrepreneurship can evolve and grow and that sort of thing. Um, so speaking of relationships, uh, starting a business can affect relationships with others, but it affects you. Um, and I know that you are, um, passionate about the importance of mental health, um, in finding balance in, uh, in, in making sure that you kind of stay centered in, in throughout the entrepreneurial journey. And people don't really talk about mental health in the startup scene, even though it is something that affects, uh, I mean, it, you'd be hard pressed to find a, a startup founder that doesn't have, um, you know, something that they could tell you about the way that they felt inside uh, along the journey. So talk about that. Talk about your passion for the importance of mental health uh, in entrepreneurship? Yeah. So, I mean, I've always been passionate and incredibly open about mental health. Um, one of the reasons, um, an extra reason that I started Come was because I was going through postpartum depression and I needed a break um, at different times in order to take care of myself. So I'm very open about that. And I think the more that we talk about it, the more that people will realize it's not a negative stigma and it's not a bad thing. It's just something we have to process through and grow through. Um, and at Kome, I'm also very open about this, that over the course of Kome, I gained 50 pounds um, because of my mental health or, or lack of care of it. And so, it, you know, when you are struggling with mental health, anxiety, anything like that, it takes a toll on your whole body, um, just physiologically and also with what you, the activity you do or don't do and the food you eat or don't eat. Um, and I'm happy to say that on this side of it, I'm down 12 of those 50 pounds. So I'm in a better place taking better care of myself. But I think the big um, kind of light bulb for me is that no matter what, like your startup, whether it's going to end one day, whether it's for good reason, a great reason, a bad reason, a mediocre reason, like it's going to come to an end in some capacity, even if it's not till retirement, right? And at the end of that startup, what's left? Like the only thing that you are guaranteed to have at the end of the life of your company is yourself. Um, and so what are you doing to take care of yourself throughout it so that you're the healthiest version of yourself on the other side? And therefore maintaining good, healthy relationships around you. Like if you want your spouse and your kids and your friends to still be there at the end, if you're not taking care of yourself within it, then you're going to be no good to them throughout it. And you're going to end up with nothing at the end. And so 
I think it's just important to keep that mindset, that level set of like the startup is temporary, but my health is not temporary. When did you come to that epiphany? Honestly, I think fully, just relatively recently. I think um, throughout my time at Small Talk, I've had like a much healthier balance um, with how I view it and how it, you know, plays into my identity. So I don't think I fully captured that thought and that that growth until I had an opportunity to be full time at something that I care deeply about, um, but then know how to, you know, cut it off when I need to and to do things for myself. So realizing that, like, what what did what are some changes that you made personally? Like, what 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 did you do that was different than, um, you know, kind of what was going on? Or maybe you didn't even I you didn't even realize. Um, when you were struggling with things now in hindsight, you see, yeah, you know, how difficult things were, what, what, how have you fought your way back kind of, I guess. Yeah. I would say balance in the terms of like, I'm not always hundred percent of the time, hundred percent available. And that's not even just with like, to my team teams, um, teammates. It's also to our customers. It's also to social media. If an email comes in at 8 AM, it can wait till the next day. I mean, there's situ there's times where those things overflow. There's times where on a weekend I might put in some extra hours and that might be because I, you know, took Friday afternoon off to go to the pool with my kids. Mm -hmm. So there are times that it flexes, but I don't think I was ever off with Comey. I was always on. If a, if a comment came in on a social media post, I was on it. If an email came in, I was on it. I was always thinking about it. I never turned it off. Um, and now I do a much better job of keeping my nights and weekends for the most part to myself. Yeah. And that's, I know that that's such a struggle for tech founders, especially because you're always connected. So you're always on, it's not like if you have, and, and uh, small business owners, and, and I am a small business owner and dealing with that, it's similar, but it's not the same. I can say, here's the hours we're open. You know, we're open from 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. And if you contact us outside of that time, well, 10 a.m. the next day is when you hear from us again. Now, granted, I'm still on social media and doing all that kind of stuff, too, and replying to comments and emails outside of hours. But I can only imagine, you know, in the tech space, something comes in, you're following up, especially if it's. Yeah, well, they know that you saw it. <laughs> because that's just how connected we are. And I think this goes even just beyond having a business. It's like, it's just being a, a human in this day and age with how connected we are. We don't have to be available all the time. We don't have to answer every text message immediately. It can wait. Um, and that's a lesson that took me a while to, to learn. So you've learned a lot of lessons. <laughs> um, let's share some of that expertise with others. What advice would you give to somebody who's just starting out, um, but really has no idea where to begin. They've got a solution. They, they, let's put them in, in kind of in the same position you were in. You identify a problem, you've found a solution, you've got a great idea of a solution to that problem. What's next? Um, well, I always start with one step at a time. So Audrey and I always had this analogy of if we had a dot to dot picture of our logo, and if you told us what it was gonna take to fill in that dot to dot, we would have quit. <laughs> like, I'm not doing that. Um, but because we took one step at a time, it didn't feel so overwhelming. And so just keeping focused on the next milestone and the next milestone, um, getting connected, finding like-minded people. Because um, if I had had more of a community of entrepreneurs around me, then I wouldn't have had to talk to my friends about it so much. And they wouldn't have had to be tired of hearing about it so much. Um, so finding that network and then being willing to grow. 
So people always, I kind of have an unpopular opinion in that I think advice given to startup founders all the time is to lean into your strengths and surround yourself with people that know things that you don't know. And I'm not saying that's incorrect. I think that that actually is very smart to surround yourself with people that know things that you don't know. Um, but then learn from those people and learn those things and take opportunities to grow your weaknesses because there's things that you might not know as a strength until you've tried it. So thinking about my very beginnings of Kome, um, Audrey and I went to our very first networking event and it was like torture for me. Like it's just going into a room of people I didn't know, making small talk, getting, you know, having conversations going. It was exhausting. And I got home and my husband's like, how did it go? And I'm like, technically good, but it was terrible and I'm tired and it was hard. Um, fast forward to now, you invite me to come here and talk to like this live audience that I can't see. And even if they were here, I'd be happy to talk to them. Um, and now like, I love that. Like I, it's not a weakness anymore. It's a strength and I grew into it. And so I think, yes, lean into your strengths. Yes, surround yourself with people that know things you don't know, but then learn those things and be willing to be able to wear all the hats when necessary. At least you got free drinks and appetizers at the networking event. It's true. So we, we're not providing that today because we don't have a live audience. But once we're back, uh, you know, with with real people sitting here and not just uh, not just watching us here, we'll <laughs> we'll have that for you too. Thanks. <laughs> so. Um, Let's switch gears a little bit to something that is on the mind of uh, lots of entrepreneurs, especially if you, and, and I'll use the dictionary um, definition of entrepreneurs now, uh, when you're founding a company, maybe you're, you're taking that next step and you've got it, the solution, you're developing an app or a device or something like that, and you're fundraising. I'm not going to ask you about any fundraising going on with companies that you're with right now. Um, but just generally, uh, it's not an idea. It's not enough to have just an idea and just, just mentors and things like that. You need capital. So what advice would you give to that founder, that first time founder or whatever that's seeking capital? So my first advice is to start showing up and just making yourself known in the ecosystem. Um, that's going to become easier as things, as events start happening, um, but, you know, Audrey and I's first step was we actually did a Kickstarter campaign first, which was successful, but a train wreck in the middle. So that's a story for another day. But we did a Kickstarter campaign first, and then we found out about a pitch competition in the area, um, the Female Entrepreneur Summit. We went there. We had never pitched. We had watched a couple episodes of Shark Tank. We thought they were going to teach us how to pitch because it was like a whole day thing. Um, they weren't. We were supposed to show up with one, and, and we didn't show up with one and didn't know a thing about what we were doing. But we showed up. We made it happen. We knew our company well enough that we were able to pull it together. We actually won first place and won $10,000. Um, and it was that very um, pitch competition that some people in the audience that were um, part of the Northeast Ohio startup ecosystem said, hey, you guys have a great idea. Can we, can we meet? Can we talk? Um, and then you just kind of follow the rabbit trail and you just continue to meet people. Um, and, you know, I always say like, wait as long as you can to take funding. Um, cause you'll just be more confident in, in what you're going for. Um, but don't be afraid to take it either. Cause if you can get larger lump sums at one time, you don't have to live in that survival mode. Um, like I mentioned, and you can actually move quite fast. 
So Female Entrepreneurship Summit, first money that you guys got. Mm -hmm. We talked in February um, when we were doing some video interviews for Women's History Month and things like that, spotlighting female entrepreneurs. And um, we touched on a little bit about the differences for a female founder. Was there anything different for you when you were seeking venture capital as a female founder? This is something I don't know a lot about. So I'm going to have you kind of lean into I mean, the answer here. Absolutely. Um, which actually kind of ties into something else I wanted to mention about when you're seeking investments is not seeking an investment until you really know your company, what your goals are. Um, and what your milestones are going to be and what your business model is. Um, and I, I will say that I did know that going into raising funds, but I, I bent and I iterated and I pivot, pivoted along the way um, based on the interests or conversations that I was having with investors um, to a point where I was building something that wasn't what I wanted to build. Um, and so I think being confident and knowing exactly what you're looking for. That doesn't mean closing your ears. I mean, obviously investors are gonna give you very good advice that you should stop and you should consider, but you shouldn't change based on the goal of getting their investment. You should change those things because they actually gave you a good idea and that you've decided that it was the right choice for your business. Um, so I'll start there, but then say, you know, one of the reasons that I would do those things is because I, because as being a female, um, I was challenged differently than men were. Um, the reasons that people would give me for not investing would also be reasons they could have given to a company that was led by men that they did put through. So, you know, biggest of all, being a consumer-facing company that was pre-revenue and is going to be pre-revenue for a very long time because our goal was to grow a user base. Um, and then we watched other companies get funded that had the same very business model. Or you know, being told in a meeting that we came off too bold and that we needed to apologize. Whereas you would never, you would never tell a man that he was too bold in a, in a meeting. You would be like, oh, he's so confident. He's going to grow a great, strong business. Um, being told that, you know, you may be the darlings of, a, of the pitch competition, but it's like, you'd never say that. So the things that were said to me, um, you know, see these advisors as big brothers, just, and like, even in that, like I grew. So at the very beginning, um, someone had called Audrey and I the girls in front of a group. And I, I thought nothing of it, honestly, at the time. And someone like said, hey, like you can't do that. That's inappropriate. And I'm like, ah, it's fine. I don't care. But then over time, I saw and learned so much and became so aware um, of people's perspective of us. We're the darlings. We're the girls. How cute these stay-at-home moms that are trying to raise money what a nice thing they're doing. And then twofold, we were making a product that was primarily for moms. <laughs> so, so our market wasn't understood either. Um, and especially, you know, 2020 has made the conversation of childcare much more relevant than it was before, but it wasn't that way. So, you know, we had one investor tell us that he just didn't understand the problem that we were trying to solve because if he needed a babysitter in the evening, he would just pay his nanny who he pays $70,000 a year to stay longer. <laughs> I was like, well, that's not, that's not middle America. <laughs> okay. I'm, I did the same thing with my nanny uh, that doesn't exist. Um, <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, 
So started Comey, went through all of that, the pitch competitions, the meetings for VC, uh, eventually, you know, the, the, the exit is what it was. Um, it's still great. I'm still very proud of it. It absolutely. just wasn't like the big glamorous media hit that you hoped and for. You're still here and you survived and you came out on the other side of that. And now you are at small talk, which is another startup. Yeah. Tell us, what is it? What did? What do you do? What did? <laughs> that was the question we talked about earlier. What do you do? Well, now you're chief commercial officer at Small Talk. Tell us about your role there, um, and tell us about Small Talk, a, a very exciting company. Yeah. So Small Talk is it's very exciting. It's very innovative. Um, we essentially introduce babies to foreign language, um, which at a glance sounds a little crazy, um, but it's all about active learning concepts. So when a baby is engaged with something, that is when they learn the best for whatever it is that they're learning. Um, and we do that with foreign language through play. So we have what's called the small talk egg. Um, it's an egg shaped speaker device with a sensor that attaches to a baby's pacifier. And then when the baby sucks on the pacifier, they get 10 seconds of audio content from the egg. And then the sound fades away. The baby's like, that was interesting. And they do it again because babies are incredibly smart. Um, smarter than even I knew before <laughs> joining the small talk team. And so yeah, we teach them like it teaches them the building blocks of the language. If you use the small talk egg, will you have a bilingual three-year-old? Not today, no. Um, that is the grand vision of the company when we add more products. Um, but right now we're we're instilling those building blocks of the language and offering other brain benefits for this experience. And we're launching that this fall. And so my job at Small Talk is to essentially make sure it launches and that people love it. Uh, so it's a lot of project management, a lot of product management, because um, we're balanced. It's an internet of things. So um, making sure that the hardware team is in sync with the software, the app team, uh, making sure that's in sync with our content creation, making sure that's in sync with like actually creating the content that's going to be living on the egg itself. Um, so there's just all of these pieces. And because of my experience at Comey and having had to manage all the pieces, um, I have this understanding of, of how this puzzle needs to work together. So it's my job to keep the puzzle together and make sure that our customers love it uh, when we launch this. Fall. Do you get to be involved in any of the product testing at all? I can only imagine that's like literally the cutest focus group you could ever see. Just like <laughs> it's babies true. lined up with the egg on the pacifier. It's true. We did a photo shoot um, last summer with our prototype and it was just adorable having a little baby playing with this. And you can see it in their eyes that they're like, this is cool. Like, this is fun. And so it's an enjoyable thing for babies and it does really healthy things for them. So you went from your startup that you co-founded to another startup that's still pre-launch, but very close. Is startup culture addictive? Is Yes. <laughs> Why? Um, well, actually we, um, at Small Talk, we launched a podcast last week um, and I, I host it and we talk to different experts on different brain development topics that have to do with infants. Um, and eventually we'll talk about young children as well. So you should go look it up. It's called Growing Up Brainy. Um, but I bring that up because in there, I actually, in my intro, I playfully call myself a startup addict. Um, and so it's, but I say it playfully because it's just that I know that it's what I was built for and I know that I'll do nothing else. Um, I tried for a minute to work at a marketing agency. They were great, um, wonderful things, but I was just like, I need to be build. If I'm here, I need to build the marketing agency. <laughs> like right. I need to be yeah. like, 
you know, growing the company. And so I'm like, this actually isn't where I fit. And so then I was contracting with other startups and then eventually um, got connected to Smalltalk. And yeah, so is it addictive? Yes. And I think that it can be in a playful, healthy way if it's what you're built for and you love it. Um, and it's just watching out for those times where it becomes an unhealthy addiction. So like I, we kind of talked about before, like turning off your phone, stepping away, realizing it won't be there forever and that it's a temporary thing um, and treating it as such. Speaking of turning off your phone, I'm going to get mine out because uh, we're going to go to some audience Q&A. Um, and we'll try and get to as many of these as we can. Um, and there are quite a few. So if you uh, have a question for Amy, make sure that you drop it into the Q&A uh, module on Zoom. And those will come to me and we will ask Amy right now. So let's start with uh, one. You said that you weren't um, techie when you started. How did you approach app development um, with, without that dev background? Um, well, I have a couple answers to that. Um, on one, one answer is that Audrey and I both had techie husbands. They weren't app developers, um, but they knew the space enough that they, um, were extremely helpful in, you know, helping us connect the dots. Um, so, and helping us have conversations with those beginning developers, making sure that we were getting what we needed. Um, and eventually we had other mentors that we met along the way as well that could fill those places. But then honestly, like the behind the scenes answer is that there were so many calls that Audrey and I would be on. Um, luckily they weren't video calls at the time. It was just audio because we would be on Google searching for words that we didn't know and just like kind of, you know, figuratively nodding and smiling along the way. And then making sure that after the call, like we're like, okay, this is what they were talking about. This is what we need to do. Um, so it's a little bit of fake it till you make it. Uh, don't be afraid to ask questions and don't be afraid to learn what you don't know. And then again, like leaning into learning that, um, I wasn't a techie person. But now, like, I love nerding out over, you know, writing a pretty lengthy query for a SQL database to learn about what my customers are doing in the app. So I've grown. <laughs> uh, how did you get connected with support and resources locally? You mentioned you guys started at the pitch competition, um, which then was, all, was sponsored by and connected to various entrepreneurial support organizations in Northeast Ohio. Mm -hmm. Um, so how did, how did you get connected and from one to the next and, and who did you work with and, yeah. and get supported that way? Um, well, it's going to be a lot easier when events start popping back up because my number one answer is to show up, um, show up, make yourself known, walk up to groups of people that you're afraid to talk to and just have conversations because yes, that female entrepreneur summit competition is what led us to meet some different people in the ecosystem that led us to meet someone else. We went to a women's lunch one day, um, kind of near the end, we're like, you know, was this valuable? Did we learn anything? Did we connect? And then a woman comes up and says, hey, I heard about a pitch competition in New York City. I think you guys would be good for the applications tomorrow and do tomorrow. And we're like, oh, okay. And then we went, we filled it out. We got accepted, went to New York for Project Entrepreneur to do the pitch competition. We won. We ended up living in New York for five weeks as the prize, um, which was funny because we didn't really think we were going to win. So when we had to call our husbands and be like, so, and it means we're going to live here for five weeks. That was fun. They were super supportive, but it's still a funny moment and memory. Um, but the point is, if I hadn't shown up to that lunch that I thought might have not been useful, 
I wouldn't have known about that competition. I wouldn't have taken the step to apply to show up to do the thing. So just show up, meet people, make yourself known, and not just with one organization in the area, but all of them. You want them all to know you because they all work together and they all can help you in various ways. So I'm going to use this as an opportunity to just plug the events calendar and jumpstarting.org uh, because we do list not only jumpstart events, but uh, as many as we can find or submitted to us from different entrepreneurial support organizations um, and even like the universities and things like that that have um, entrepreneur events and they are starting to pop back up again. Like hopefully um, within the next couple rounds of Founders Unfiltered, we will have people in the audience and they can stand up and ask questions um, as opposed to sending them in. But um, but yeah, check that out because uh, showing up is, is important and there's such great networking opportunities at any of these, even if it's you know, a panel discussion like this, there's always something afterwards or uh, things like that to show up to. Um, let's see here. Uh, I've got another one that just came in. So this is specifically about um, about Comey. So busy moms trade babysitting time. How did your model generate revenue and profits? I know that you talked about the goal at the beginning is user base, right? So, but what was your what was your business model around revenue? Yeah, so our business model, I mean, it, it changed along the way a couple of times, um, kind of going back to because investors told us it should, which I don't recommend unless you agree with them. Um, but the business model as it should have been was for it always to be free for parents, um, that parents can always swap babysitting with each other. That's the idea. It's a communication tool, um, making babysitting accessible and swappable. The, the grand plan was to build a marketplace so that you would be able to kind of think airline points. Um, if you had an excess of Kome points, you would be able to turn those into Amazon gift cards. If um, you were someone that, you know, just, you could maybe turn them into cash. You could maybe sell them between people where it's like, I can't give enough. Um, I love having my friends watch my kids, but I just don't have the time or don't want to find the time to watch theirs, um, that you could purchase Comey points. But you can't build a marketplace like that, at least not one that's going to really boost revenue and, and make an impact until you have a very large, very active, um, very reliable user base. And so we didn't make money while we were building it. Um, our plan was a much longer game, which is difficult to get funding for. Uh, I am, I'm a little bit, and I apologize. I'm a little bit fuzzy around when the acquisition happened. Um, was that pre COVID? Yes. Or, okay. It was in 2019. So it was like April of 2019 that we announced we were shutting down. Um, we had a handful of competitors reach out to us and say, no, you can't shut down. Uh, can we make a deal for your assets? Um, and ultimately chose Wana Family Network and had the formal acquisition in June uh, of, tw of 2019. So yes, it was before COVID. Um, and then things got real like six months later. <laughs> okay. And, and now at Smalltalk has, has um, lockdowns or, or COVID, I mean, you're, you're in, in developing a company there. I mean, you're still pre-launch for the immediate future. Um, has, has that affected... Um, you know, that startup at all? Has it affected the way that you are working, the way that you're interacting with your teams? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, you don't have to, you know, dig far in the news to see that, uh, you know, building hardware, even all the way up to huge, great companies, 
Apple, Ford, whoever, building hardware right now is difficult uh, because of components, availability, and costs. Um, so are we delayed? Yeah, we're a little bit delayed, um, but we're not afraid of that. No one on our board or investors is nervous about that because it's a global issue that's no secret to anybody that COVID has put those things on there. Um, but I always, you know, one of the things that makes a great entrepreneur is being able to work and roll with the punches. And so, hey, we have to have a delay. Well, we could all take a nap until October. No, not going to happen. Or we could use this gift of time to do something grand. And so that's when we said, let's launch the podcast. Let's, we'll be coming out with a YouTube channel in a month or so here as well. Um, how can we grow an audience? How can we continue to validate the market? How can we continue to connect with our future customers now so that when we do launch, it's even stronger and better than it would have been if we were shipping today? How have you and the executive team, this is just a follow-up, this isn't one that anybody asked, but I've got one in my head. How have you and the executive team at Smalltalk um, built the company culture in an environment where so many people are working remote and, um, you know, and, and only connected over screens? Yeah, well, we started with mostly connecting over screens. Um, before Dean, one of our co-founders, uh, brought me on the team and I met, um, before he brought me on the team, I'd met him in person once um, and we were actually supposed to meet again, like right when COVID really, you know, hit and went off. And so we just turned those into Zoom meetings and it became so normal that it's felt very natural. I think it's going to be interesting when we are all in an office all the time together again. Um, but I think it's led to a very trusting culture. You have to trust your teammates more um, to do what they say they're going to do. And we make it a priority to see each other in person at least once a week now. Um, until the time comes to have an office and then we'll still probably be flexible within that. But, um, so we'll meet up whether it's at a coffee shop, whether it's at the bounce innovation hub, um, we'll meet up and we'll make sure that we do get some in-person FaceTime. Cause I think that there's creativity that comes from that, that you just don't have virtually. Um, and it's nice just to ask someone a quick question instead of saying, Hey, can we schedule a meeting to talk about this question? Um, so, you know, we've, we've flexed with it, but we were born right into it. So it's just how it's had to be. Great. Um, we've got a couple more. I'm, I'm going to just rattle one off here that just came in. So you mentioned some of the struggles you face as a female founder. How do you get VCs and others to take you seriously? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think one is being confident and not recoiling from it. Um, I wish when we were asked to apologize for being too bold, I wish we had taken a bolder response to that comment um, rather than kind of being like, oh, yes, you're right. We were too confident that day <laughs> um, when that really wasn't the case. Um, and I've, I've talked to many mentors and other entrepreneurs and like, you know, what we were saying was actually quite reasonable. Um, and so I think the more that you stand up for yourself and just show people who you are and do that unapologetically, um, I think that over time, people will take you more seriously because I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm here to stay um, one way or another. And so just building on that confidence, I think goes a far way. So we're out of time for the audience Q&A. I don't want you to get bombarded, but I already mentioned your great LinkedIn bio at the beginning. So I'm sure people have, have searched out on LinkedIn to find you. Would you be open to questions being submitted to you, you know, along these same topics? Yeah. Um, you know, I said it earlier that 
you know, Ohio invested in me as an entrepreneur, not just in Comey. And so I take it very seriously about, you know, paying that forward and connecting with entrepreneurs and also those mentors that saw me and saw my potential and helped me realize who I was and, and all that I could be. Um, I want to do that for the other entrepreneurs that are at the beginning of this stage and this journey that aren't quite sure if they've got what it takes. All right. So it's allowed. You can reach out Please do. <laughs> Amy on LinkedIn um, for, for those questions along your own entrepreneurial journey. So uh, man, this is, time has flown by. Uh, we're at 10 till the end here. Um, before we wrap up, I have a short list of quick fire questions for you. Uh, you really don't know what's coming. So I'm going to allow one pass. Um, you can bank that till the end and it can be turned into Comey points at the end of this, but uh, no, we, 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 so we've just got a few questions here and, and uh, these don't have to be long answer, but if you give a long answer, right. more points to you. All right. What is the single most fun thing about being an entrepreneur? The opportunities, absolutely the opportunities. So the highs are really high, like living in New York for five weeks was incredible. Um, and Audrey and I always made it a point anytime we were in a new city or a even if it's the same city, visiting it again, um, we would always find the highest rooftop bar and make sure we had a drink there and take a great picture of the skyline. So, so literal highs. Literal <laughs> highs. Yes. Sometimes at the top of a building. And so I think the most fun part and a very important part is to celebrate the wins and to enjoy those highs thoroughly rather than beating yourself up for whatever is the next hurdle around the corner. What's the weirdest thing a VC has ever said to you? It's probably that one with the $70,000 nanny. <laughs> Why can't my nanny just stay late? <laughs> like, well, your nanny can stay late. I don't have one. <laughs> so that's not the customer serving. Um, so I think that that one is definitely at the top of the list. What kept you or keeps you up at night? Ah, I don't feel kept up at night anymore. So that's good. Um, but I would say back then... It was the feeling like I still always needed to be doing the next thing and be at the next event, doing the next project and not just being, not resting, not letting myself rest at night. What would you say if you had to choose one thing is the single most important reason for your success to this point? I don't quit. I don't give up. Um, I'm a perfectionist, Enneagram One. Um, I'm a fixer. And so I need to be constantly fixing things and I choose to do that in business. What is your favorite metaphor for describing entrepreneurship? It's like dating. And okay. people say that a lot, but it came like for a whole new meaning um, at, the, at the end of Comey. So you're dating your investors, you're dating you know, potential employees, like you want to date before you get married and this whole analogy and your startup's your baby, all of this stuff, right? Um, but it really came full circle for me at the end when for a minute I thought Comey was over and then we got this acquisition opportunity and I remember saying, this feels like my ex-boyfriend just came back and asked if, if I wanted to be in a relationship again. <laughs> and I was like, no, but yes. <laughs> so, um, I think that that analogy just definitely, it plays through all the way to the end, an acquisition and everything. 
I can also see how uh, for, you know, I'm not speaking from experience, but how for some people dating could be taking a significant financial risk. So even if we're talking about the, <laughs> that is true, that is true. The, the, Steer clear the of those ones. Uh, let's see here. What did you want to be when you grew up before all of this? entrepreneurship was that was that the thing for amy at age 11. no so that this is interesting because i was just in a linkedin conversation with people on this very topic about how we ask kids about what they want to be when they grow up and it's like when you're that little like you have no idea what the opportunities are you're presented with like a firefighter a nurse a teacher you know whatever is like just very easy for children to see um and so i wanted to be a teacher because that's one of like the 10 options that was presented to me as an eight-year-old um, and I took that all the way up until college. I was going to be a music ed teacher. Um, and then I was going to be a music therapist. And then I was going to be a psychologist. And then I was like, I'm going to be a stay-at-home mom. And then that was hard. And so then I built an entre- like a tech company. So I think, yeah, I was, I was going to be a teacher. But it was just, it's interesting that you asked that question. Because I feel like that was so ingrained in me and my perfectionism. Like, letting go of that plan was actually incredibly difficult and made me almost feel like a failure that I was doing something different. But yeah, I guess Uh, now I can teach people in these ways. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. See, it all goes full circle. Um, All right. So startup culture, entrepreneurship, it's addictive. We've established that. Pitch me. What's your next big startup? Small talk. <laughs> no, I actually have no idea. Um, I'm not necessarily like an idea person that has ideas coming up all the time. Like, oh, that should be a business. That should be a business. Um, I think whatever comes after small talk, it'll be an opportunity that presents itself and that I just can't get my mind off and I want to run with that person. Similarly to small talk. Once um, when I saw Dean pitched the first time and I didn't even know that he would be looking for someone to join his team and I didn't know that I would be looking to join a team. I remember seeing his pitch and thinking that startup has legs like that. That startup's going to go someplace. Um, And so I see opportunity and I take the opportunity, but I don't have a big list of ideas. So good news, Dean. She doesn't have the next. I'm not leaving anytime soon. (laughs) That's it. You didn't use a pass. I didn't use a pass all the way through. I think the closest I was at a pass is repeating answers that I'd already said. So I'm sorry. No, that was that was excellent. You are off the hot seat. We have reached the end of our time together today. It flew by. Um, I really want to thank you for joining me and joining us today. I love every chance I get to talk to you. Thank you. I love I love doing these things. So um, I'll, well, I'll be back next. You're good month. at it. So yeah. <laughs> so monthly, okay, recurring roles. I like that. Um, yeah, thank you uh, to you again. Thank you to everyone behind the scenes um, that made this conversation possible. The, the marketing team and the IT team for their support here at Jumpstart. Uh, Dayron Henderson of Lowkey Entertainment um, for putting this whole awesome production together. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm really looking forward to the, uh, the time that we can be back in person. But until then, this has been um, a really fantastic format. So thank you to Dayron for that. Um, thank you for tuning in, um, spending your lunch time with us if you're watching it live or spending whatever time with us if you're watching this um, after the fact. Uh, we're doing this again. This is, uh, the series has been revived. So I want to invite you to join us next month, the same time on Wednesday, July 28th. Uh, we're going to be talking with Adam Rakestraw, who is 
the founder of MetaView XR, which is another very exciting startup. They are using AR VR technology in the surgical room. Um, so really high tech stuff that is way beyond me, but I'm sure that I'll get to have a good conversation with him. So, um, so join us next month for that. Uh, you can register now at jumpstarting.org. Um, at Jumpstart, our mission is to unlock the full potential of entrepreneurship to economically transform communities. And what that really means is that we wanna provide capital, uh, services and connections to entrepreneurs like Amy, entrepreneurs like you. If you have a problem and you found a solution for it uh, in your industry, we wanna talk to you and we wanna help out and start networking and make those connections. If you have an innovative idea and maybe it's for an app, but you're not a developer yet, uh, or you haven't met developers yet, we wanna help you make those connections. It all starts with a conversation. Uh, you can check us out at Jumpstart Inc. That's jumpstartinc.org. Um, and if you've got a startup that's already chugging along and you're looking for uh, you know, investment capital or you're looking for technical advice and services to be connected with some experts in the industry, you can go to jumpstartinc.org slash apply, fill out the application there and we'll get rolling with it uh, right away. So you can learn more again at jumpstartinc.org. I want to thank you again for watching. Thank you again, Amy. Thank you. Thanks. And we will see you next time.